Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, Blenders. It's Sean, and we are back for one of our very famous bonus episodes where we bring to you guys an interview that didn't quite fit into the main show primarily because we had some other really cool interviews to run. Uh, This one is on behalf of Jumanji The Next Level. Now, we already ran the interview that Kevin and I did with the director, Jake Kasdan. But while we were in Mexico uh, participating in that press junket, we also got to sit down with the two producers of the film, Matt Tallmack and Hiram Garcia. The two of those guys are involved not just in the Jumanji franchise, but in a lot of other major properties that we know you guys are interested in. Uh, Hiram does a lot of stuff with The Rock. Uh, they're going to be working on Black Adam together. And uh, Matt Tallmack has been the architect of a lot of the Spider-Man-related films over at Sony. He produced Venom. He's been working on Venom 2. He's doing uh, Morbius with Jared Leto. And so we got to talk about not just the Jumanji franchise and where they want to go uh, after the sequel, but we opened the talk up to a lot of other industry things that were really interesting to us about how 3D is used, uh, about humor uh, can translate uh, on the global market and why certain jokes make it in or don't. And they were just really great to speak to because they were totally open and really liked the long form uh, element of the podcast. So I should probably add that we do get into a few light spoilers uh, with regards to the Jumanji The Next Level story. Nothing major, and we tried to keep it to things that you saw uh, in the trailers, but there were a couple of scenes that they wanted to elaborate on. So if you want to go into Jumanji completely unspoiled, uh, maybe you want to wait a day or two to catch up with this after you've seen the movie. Uh, but without further ado, we wanted to bring you our bonus interview episode with uh, Jumanji The Next Level producers Matt Tomak and Hiram Garcia. Been amazing. We had the best times. Should I? I'll kick it off. Well, thank you for joining us. This is absolutely. Can incredible. I interrupt already? Yes. I just, are we rolling? We are rolling. We are rolling. I just want to say that um, people have told me I have a voice for radio. Good. And Honestly, this is my first podcast, so I'm kind of throwing this out to the audience. You know, if anybody has a <laughs> podcast idea or anything, you know, I'm, I'm available. Sometimes right. they That's say all. you have a voice for radio. A but face it's a for radio <laughs> is what you don't want to hear. <laughs> yes, you don't want to hear. I started radio. And I heard that. Actors and talent is they're actually so used to cameras that it's 
Because you always want to disappear, ultimately. You want to try right. and capture a candid moment. And the nice thing about hanging around actors and people who are always around cameras is they tend to just ignore you. Like, you can actually disappear and capture those moments that are really authentic and organic and, and just magical. And, and for me, I've always... Love photography, always, you know, so it's like, you know, thank you very it's much. Really but, you know, we're, we're in a great, we're very fortunate we get to produce these movies. We have a kind of a POV that a lot of people don't get to see. And I always remember growing up hearing about how Bruckheimer always had a camera on him. And, you know, and yeah. loving photographer, I'm like, I'm always like, if I ever had the opportunity to finally become a producer and reach this dream, I want to be able to capture as many moments as I can. So I always keep a camera on me, you know, um, have a great relationship with Leica as an ambassador for them. And, cool. you know, and just to be able to capture those moments and tell that? the he's story. A, he's a Leica ambassador. Uh, just a Leica ambassador. Just giving a little bit of a... I just want to shine a light on that. Yeah, mentioning, the, <laughs> mentioning the family. You know, ambassador for Leica, you know. But it is sponsored. I love to be able to tell that story. Would you ever want to be a DP? Uh, no, I've never, you know, I let the pros do that. It's like, I, I was Would you ever want to be a DJ? Uh, a DJ I would want to do. Right. But uh, but photography is, is that that's my platform to a tell a little story. And I love hey, to shoot the uh, Tomac. Tomac loves a camera. He took an amazing shot. He is an incredible photographer. Very yeah. Uh, and took a that's because picture. I take a lot of his pictures. So. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> some of the shots of me are extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've seen them. It really captures that face for radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really, really great job. He actually made, so he made, you know, so uh, not dropping, but we did do, a, was able to do a gallery for Leica when we launched the camera and a photo of Tomac. Made the called the Tomac, made the gallery. Made the a very stunning image of him I doing emails on a, on a set for us, very producer-like. It was, uh, uh, it, it is yeah. kind of an iconic He's got the big Which shot. set was it? Uh, it was the Oasis set, uh, in the movie, you know, when they go into the in the village. Oh, in this film. Oh, in this film. Okay, this okay. Yes, and there's those targets against the wall. You know, when the hatchet hits yeah, the wall. Yeah. So I'm standing against the wall. Um, <laughs> where I, I by the way, out. It was one of my proudest moments. It was. We walked onto that set, and with the whole crew to kind of scout the the set. We hadn't seen it, and there were these targets on the wall with hatchets, and I don't know what possessed me. Do you remember this? Yeah, oh, it was magic. And I went and grabbed a hatchet and walked, stepped back and threw it. <laughs> and, and that crew member was never seen again. Right, exactly. <laughs> but in, while the hatchet is spiraling in midair, I'm like, oh my God, whatever happens here is going to speak to who I am. Like, if the hatchet clanks on the ground, and I'm like, oh, Tomac. But if I nail it, and it nailed it. Nailed Do you remember it? That? True, as an OG, first shot, first shot. Only person did it. Everyone's standing around. Funk and hits it right on the money. Damn. And I was like, Yeah. And you were like, No, that's the man. Here. So here's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Now, where's my Starbucks? <laughs> Almond milk latte. That's hilarious. So he captured that moment. It was cool. It was cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. I want to go back to the first movie um, when you guys make the decision, or the decision is made that you're going to go up against Star Wars. Yes. Um, and and t talk about just that decision, but then I also want you to talk about having the confidence now to come out with a sequel and realize, again, you get to go up against a another Star Wars. Um, you know, a huge um, credit to, to Sony, you know, to Tom Rothman and, and um, Josh Greenstein, who were the ones who, you know, we were making the movie who said, this is gonna, we, we think this is Christmas. You know, and 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 I think we all felt as you would, um, like, 
what? You know, because at that point we don't, you know, we're the new kid on the block sure. and, and we, we believe in what we're doing, but it hasn't come out yet. People haven't. Um, and there's this movie sitting there called Star Wars. And so there was a huge gulp, um, but they were immediately really, really bullish on what we were doing. And I think, and, and, and we quickly rallied around it with a, with a, with a healthy dose of, of anxiety um, but um, well, and let me just say, yeah. like he's being very. We were very aware of like as giant Star Wars fans, the amount of times we we're like, yeah. uh, bro, we're going to get Star Wars. <laughs> Is everyone sure we want? To? And especially with that movie, there was so much buzz around, sure. less, you know, about that movie and what was going to happen. That we had a ton of moments where like, we really sure we want to uh, come out against Star Wars. But there's and, uh, no good window though. No, honestly, it's, it's well, not, not, and you just got to take it on. There's never a good window. Yeah. And what you you have to believe in the movie and 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 what we all got very clear about and what you know, it's the right time for this movie and I think that's you know when you're having a conversation about release dates obviously you have to be aware of what else is on your date or close to your date but to the extent that a movie can actually capture the spirit of a of a, a time of year you know that this is a holiday movie that it's a movie about people coming together. And being there for each other, which right. is sort of in the in the holiday tradition, um, it, it just felt like it was good timing. And you know, we we had a few fairly major movie stars in our arsenal, also. Yes, so okay. yeah, we were showing up with with the goods, but still, it was it was super super daunting. And we had the um, confidence, and I'll say in this, knowing we always knew Star Wars is a monster. We, we're him and I alone are fans of it. But it's it's one of those things Jake, where Jake's yeah, last we're name all, is yeah, Cassidy. Yeah. I mean, so we're like, always going to be there. We're always going to be there for that movie opening. But the one thing that we felt confident in is that Star Wars still is a tone in itself. And the thing that we had that we felt really good about was that we felt we were we were an eight to eighty movie that like on a holiday when the family's together and everyone's deciding. All right, we've all seen Star Wars. What do we see next? Well, we're the movie that we know. From the little kids to grandma, there's going to be jokes in there, there's going to be fun in there, and you're going to leave having a big, fun, good time with our movie. And that was the thing that we always felt yeah. confident with. So we're, we're, you're never, we're not trying to dethrone Star Wars, we just want to coexist with it, and we were able to well, in a really cool way. And by the way, you realize you can. I mean, that was the amazing takeaway is both movies did incredibly well. Almost right. a billion dollars later. Yeah, and yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, it, it, that's... For those of us making movies at a time when there seemingly aren't that many windows or weekends, right. um, you can succeed yeah. uh, in a crowded in a crowded marketplace. And I'm not if you have the blowing smoke or saying this because you guys are here. For my 11 year old son, like that first Jumanji, your Jumanji um, is is his Star Wars. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, so good. To He's that's not the greatest so thing ever. Cool. Like the yeah. Star Wars stuff is is super into it for me, and those my sons both like it. But my 11 year old will go to your film. Well, that's yeah. over and over again. Yeah, that, that's and I see him. No, no, I'm serious. Like I see in him the the attachment that I got. That's to the early movies that I grew yeah. up on. That's the greatest thing in the world. That, yeah. You know, we're we're creating a new franchise for a new generation of people that's who right. are gonna who are gonna have that same allegiance. I mean, Star Wars is the gold standard. Yeah, you sure. know, and and that's the greatest. I, I have a 13 year old who has no choice but to say that he is. <laughs> but, um, we have an understanding. But, uh, but same thing with his buddies. Yeah. And it's the greatest thing. Because you they, can't force they, it, you know? Well, and no. they, get to, they get to own it. They get to own it. And that's the, you know, growing up, that was the coolest thing. The, the movies that were yours. Yep. You know, that you saw as a kid that were made for you. You always have a, a thing, you know. A, well, but my oldest says Jurassic World over Jurassic Park, and I've disowned it. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's actually out of it. Yeah, yeah. His yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 answers are just wrong. Yeah. 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 Sometimes he just. That's not even an opinion, it's just wrong. It's a sad story. This is more of a distribution question, but I'm curious about this from a producing standpoint. So you open the 13th, back to Star Wars one more time, or they open the 20th. Yes. Does that affect your theater count? Mm. Like, what happens, like, with, with, so when you open your movie in over 4,000 screens, does that something you have to take into account when you deal with Star Wars opening a week later? How does that play out on your end? Is that something you guys don't even have to think about or worry about? No, I, you know, the, the nice thing is that those are the two big holiday, well, there's actually a couple holiday films, yeah. but at that time, you know you're going to be fine. I think the only time sometimes you get into, and I'm sure you've dealt with this, where you can get into a little bit of logistics issue is when you start dealing with specialty theaters like IMAX and oh. stuff like that and maybe if you're international if you're dealing with like 4D screens that's where you start there's more there's you can go weak at IMAX if you want yeah, there, right? there, there's less property in terms of how long a film can stay at those because there's less screens right. so other than regular theatrical it's fine but when you're dealing with stuff like IMAX and when you're dealing with like 4D, um, that's where you can get into a little bit of, of choppiness in terms of how much time do we get and how much time does this one get? You know, I'm sure you've experienced that too. Where do you guys think 3D is going? I'm curious about that. Like, it's a good question. You know, look for me, I, I feel like 3D isn't as big domestic-wise. Right. I, you know, I, I feel like you know everyone's got TVs here, the 3D and so forth. But 3D internationally, they still really love 3D, and and they love you know that adds to the the theatrical experience okay. where um, you know you go to places to like China where the theaters are all new and super yeah. elaborate, and um, so the 3D going experience is always plays very big international that we see in terms of for us. I, I think you have. To, I, I think the. <clears throat> I think it's a, there's a cautionary note in it, though. I mean, I think, you know, when 3D came along, you know, this last time, it's right. come along before, yeah. um, it became, everybody saw it as the great answer. Right. Like, this is going to be, everything should be, you know, dinner with Andre should be, like, everything. <laughs> and, and, and it's just not true. You know what I mean? I think 3D works really brilliantly for movies that, Ask for it. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it's additive, and I'm creatively, I'm talking, for certain movies. Mm. Um, and But I think it, everything got sort of shoved in that bucket and it, and it diluted it a little bit mm. uh, for audiences. Yeah. But I do think there are movies that are meant to be, that are, or that are enhanced that way. Yeah, right. Like Gravity, or even like what Gravity. you, what, like yeah. Scorsese did with Gravity. Hugo. That's right. I mean, they, they use 3D as there, a depth. And it's, field. it's baked into the idea. Yes. Um, and I not the conversions. <laughs> but the funny thing is, the conversion where, where it is now, it's. It, and I don't know you guys ever did. Like we actually, I was able to make yeah. a 3D movie that used 3D cameras at the time. So it was right after Red Run Avatar. Yeah, and it's. It was a whole process, and that was when you really, at that time, converge post conversion was was not up to up yeah. to snuff, and you had to like. The way you blocked and everything, and these cameras were always oh, you were down. so not nimble. It, it was so crazy. conversion became a fantastic. And now it's also very it. good. It's gotten better, and it's now. gotten yeah. way better. Right. And and I think, uh, like Hiram said, I mean, there there are places in the world where it's 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 quite popular, um, and I think it will continue to be a thing. But but I you know, for my purposes, I dig it. Uh, I I still think you know. You gotta go out and make a good movie. Yeah, yeah. That That's connects right. with people, and that, and then too. the 3D will enhance yeah. that. But it, yeah. it's not in lieu of. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the word international, and that to me, this is a global junket. We're at a junket where everybody across the world is here. Yeah. Um, your movies work for global audiences. Yes. What is that process like in the writing room and the producing room and the directing room where you're going? This movie can't not only play 
in America. It has to play everywhere. Because like, your global box office in the first Jumanji was massive. So how much goes into the thought process of how someone in China will get that joke? How someone in Japan will get that joke? How someone in India will get that joke? Is that something that you think about as a producer of like how it's going to land across the world? Yeah. And how, how do you, and how do, you do that? Yeah. Hmm. Um, it, there's no one sort of science that you apply. You know, there are there are kinds of comedy, you know, verbal, specifically verbal comedy is harder, you know, because yeah. languages are different sure. and things change, you know, the, the implication and you know, things change uh, as, as they're translated. Um, physical comedy is always Universal. something that travels, yeah. you know, brilliantly. Talking and, comedy and, doesn't travel as much. Physical and, comedy does. So, but yeah. there, you know, there, there are dynamics and there's, there's casting and, and different ways that you try to make your movie reflective of a global, of, of a world. Mm. Uh, because we think of, you know, when we think about making a movie now, different than it used to be, we truly think of it going everywhere in the world. It, it gone are the day, I'm old enough to remember when that really wasn't the primary consideration and now we think about it all the time and you try and so, tell universal themes I think stories that can can kind of you know go across seas but but the truth is, is I think when, when we're fortunate enough to make the movies we do it's you just get into a, a way of thinking that you just you automatically just naturally think in terms of you just know there's certain rules it's like this is what's going to play to a bigger audience mm -hmm. this isn't you know there's certain thematics or certain storylines or certain places um, that you want to go but once you get into that mode you just naturally think in big kind of global storytelling ways and you, you just feel something inside if you're like oh this this kind of thing isn't going to really play. It's not going to translate well, and we want to tell so a story. It feels like that, inside baseball that, yeah, versus that the most eyes will be able to see, sure. and, and that's and the joy of a, of a global. Story and I think you put your finger on it, which is you know you try to tell a story that's universal. You know, the, the thing for us always with this movie was, and we talked about it a lot. You know that it is a universal notion. This this sort of wish fulfillment. You know that I you know uh, you know people play video games. Why? Um, because it's escapism, and and you know, what if I could go in there and be powerful and fast yeah. and strong and 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 impervious to whatever Everybody the things are, that. The, the things that plague that. me all day long weren't an issue. How great would my life be? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the the slight flip on that is your your the movie asks you to finally appreciate your life having gone through that. But but I think that emotional story or journey is is for everybody. That's not that's not a territory specific idea. Mm. I think all of us think about, you know, who I who could I be? And it's why I, superhero films yeah, do so yeah. well because it's the ultimate wish fulfillment and the right. truth is yeah. is Jumanji in its own right is people becoming superheroes, mm. you know their own version. Entirely. I think it will always that, that that genre will always play because everyone's always wished just had a dream of could I be more? And I'd be bigger, just aspirational, and I think that's what superhero movies do, and that's ultimately what Jumanji does, where you get the wish fulfillment of being like, man, how cool would it be if I can just step into the body of this person, now I can do all this kind of crazy stuff. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Also, superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. No yeah, way. Yeah. I know where that's going. Yeah. <laughs> well, you teed it up. Warren <laughs> Leading Man uh, said something at the press conference that, that hit my ear, um, and then he said it a second time, yeah. multiple Jumanji universes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you elaborate on what that might mean? 
Yeah. Well, look, you know, I think one of the things was, and yes. we, were, we, were, we were always very proud of this. The first Jumanji, the very first one, Robin Williams, is so beloved. It was beloved to us, yeah. and what was important to us when we, when we went and, and made, um, you know, Welcome to the Jungle was we didn't want to remake Jumanji. That was never the goal, because you want to let such a beloved film like that that means so much to so many people stand on its own, and we wanted to build upon it. We wanted to expand the universe. So that's why we always acknowledge the movie. That world existed. What happened there, you know, you feel elements of it even in this movie. And so for us, the idea of expanding the Jumanji universe and the idea of there's different versions of the game. There's different ways the game can challenge you. And the bigger we can make the universe, the more opportunities and challenges we can give to our heroes. You've met some of the avatars. You meet new avatars in this movie. And when you start to get into that space where now we're creating a Jumanji universe Mm -hmm. and every time you beat one version of the game, there's a new one. And, you know, we showed something that we always love in in Welcome to the Jungle, the Bazaar which was actually kind of like a gateway. You, when you get that mishmash of personalities, it's basically the idea of like, that's a hub for little tastes of other Jumanji worlds over there that we've always really been excited yeah, about. And, and and back that's right, mind. that's right. And we've always talked about the possibilities, and we still do. And, you know, I mean, the game is a portal. Mm. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a game. And it lands you where it wants to land you mm. based on what it thinks you need. Right. Right? Um, it happens to be busted, which also... You know, gives you a certain other you know layer of, of freedom creatively, but that idea that you know, I mean, there's that moment in the movie when they drop into the jungle and you think, oh, this is I know what this is, and now he's going to pull up in the thing with the jeep, and we're going to get in the jeep, and we're going to drive away, and he flies over with in a plane, right? And 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 Jack Fridge says, uh, why is he in a pl- why is he in a plane? Right, right. And that's the movie saying to you. It isn't what you thought it was. Right. And, and, and saying so the, the characters, that yeah. that's right. right. And so, and the characters are, wait, wait a minute. And that, and that is the tip of, you know, what DJ was getting at, which is we, we can go anywhere we want in this, in this, in this universe. The, there are certain rules that are the rules of how the game plays. Uh, but even those are up for grabs yeah, because yeah. it got smashed by a bowling ball. Um, so the idea is, we can, you know, we can dream and, and, and land wherever we want to. And I think that's what he's talking about. And that's, you know, that's Knockwood. Um, you know, we're in a place to have those conversations. And the game will continue to evolve, which is, yeah. which we always loved. Is that it was a board game before. Um, it wasn't getting the attention it needed. And the game adapted to make sure it got played. So Don't ignore that always, game. The game will always do what it Don't needs to do to get game. played, yeah. which is a very cool thing. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, and obviously this is a great audience film and people love watching it with an audience. Yeah. And I'm curious, as you've seen this film now with, an, I, I believe, you know, you screened the other night, when you watch it with an audience, is there a scene that landed exactly how you wanted it to <laughs> land? Is there a scene that, like, just worked exactly how you envisioned it to work? Um, I mean, there's... Yeah. There's so many, but... Well, but it's also the, the kind of amazing alchemy of making movies is... Sure. I mean, there there are jokes that you know are going to land. You know, we one of the gifts that just keeps giving in this movie is the cake joke. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, and and anytime you say cake, it like it just crushes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But then there are other things that people just you you're screening the movie for the first time, and it's like some joke just just destroys, and it's like whoa, you know, yeah. and or or sometimes not in this movie. Um, when you're screening movies, they don't, you know, a joke doesn't play the way you thought it would. And that's, that's just the kind of amazing, amazing outcome. You know, it's one of the things that I've always been fascinated by 
with uh, working with comedy directors and and um, and Jake is certainly one of them. Um, and you know, back in the day when I was an executive, I I worked on a bunch of movies with like Adam McKay and and you know Judd and, and Seth Rogen and all these guys. And they all Maybe. are. It's not me. It's like, that might have been worse than his like a name, John. <laughs> I'm joking. I see how that could play. I see how that could play. Yours was pretty nonchalant, man. I'm not going to lie. That was pretty like... Blew right by it. Like, you said Judd. You didn't say Adam Town. You didn't say the full name. Judd. Judd Z. J. A. Me and J. Okay, there's no Adam before It's radio. My point was... And Jake is very much in this school. The preview process, the screening process, these guys screen their movies over and over and over and over to watch jokes play. And the way they shoot, the way Jake shoots is you're, you know, we shoot the scene. I mean, very much, you know, we, we, we shoot what, what's in the script, but then there's always a super healthy amount of try this, you know, and Jake will throw lines out and, 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 and DJ and Kevin and Jack and Kevin, everybody will riff with him. Yeah. And so then you end up with a cut of the movie and you're like, well, I got to try all this and, and figuring out what plays, what doesn't, filming audiences, watching the movies, mm. seeing how they react is all part of that kind of comedy process. And Jake, the reason I dropped all those names, <laughs> uh, is comes out of that school, and so you know we did a very healthy amount of that in the roll up to to what you saw, um, and saw what played and what didn't play, and it was so there's a science to it, uh, which is which is kind of cool, yeah. and it's a little bit like it's not precious. It's like let's just get to what audiences are really loving, and it's and, leaning and, on the audiences yeah. to get that information, which is so valuable when you just realize test it, see what they're responding to because ultimately we're trying to make the audience happy and the feedback you get from it is what's able to yes. allow us to hone it. But also to your question, I'll just say one of my favorite scenes that actually has a cool story to it is the bridge scene, the you know our bridge yeah. sequence. And what's cool about that is we had actually been working on that sequence since the first movie. That was actually, we had big ambitions for that. We wanted to put it in. Sure did. Welcome to the Jungle. Oh. Uh, didn't have enough time or money. Uh, uh, to pull it off but that was something that had been in all of our minds for years and so to finally be able to put it we knew that was going in this movie we went right back to it we were like we gotta get that in there because we knew it was gonna be big awesome and for us it was always like the biggest challenge they had ever encountered yet Mm -hmm. where you know tons of them are losing their lives everything's changing Um, but that sequence came off really awesome and it was actually one of the first things we shot in the movie like we kicked right off the gate right right away Karen and, and, and Aquafina's first day together they were doing stunts and swinging on crazy stuff and um, just jump right into it because it was such a big monster sequence and, and it turned out really badass yeah. it's, it's awesome one of my it's one of my favorite scenes it's one of my favorite scenes actually yeah. it literally took years yeah yeah, to kind of get it to so the place good, that, yeah. it, that it was going to get you know the, the, the scene that always I remember read super funny was um, when they first land in the jungle. The sort of... That the, never the, gets the, old. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, the stretching, the figuring out, so wait a minute, you are, and, you know, <laughs> watch Spencer, watch he's here. Times. You know, and it played on the page. I remember the first time we read it, it was, it had that who's on first quality oh, yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I said that to Jake. I was like, oh my God, it's like who's on first. And, and that always, always sort of lived up to right. its, its script. Even in the ambition. first movie, too. That's, that's yeah. one of those things that for me, I never get tired of watching them. 
wait, you're who? And then yeah. trying out the body. It's just so much fun to see yeah. it. And we in Florida? What is That's right. It's, it's I mean, so right, right. good. Pretty good DeVito. Well, Kevin, yeah. Yeah. pretty good DeVito right there. <laughs> <laughs> Florida? <laughs> uh, Kevin, is, as Danny, never gets old oh, either. It's like, that's so exactly so Joe's first play. It's, it's crazy. It's almost like kind of scary how he nails it. Like, it's like, it's like, there are moments where I was like, yeah. Is that Glover? What's going on here? It's, it's yeah. wild how those guys, they all did. They just Every one of characters. It, like his delivery being too slow, like costing lives. <laughs> that's, so that was, that's, like that's a great line. line. That line. That's a great line. line. Did yeah. I just kill? Yeah. Like he always said I would. Talking too slow. That was so The old guy bit also, he he laughs because he knows it's my favorite. I think for me, my favorite line of the movie is always, Jurgen the Brutal. Is that Barbara's boy? Oh, that line kills me every time. I know, I know. Why did you guys, was there ever, Jake actually confirmed this, did you guys, why did you take out the I'm too old for this shit? Like like the classic lethal weapon callback. He said that was like a bit there. Is that because it wouldn't work universally? Is it too inside baseball to lethal weapon? A little bit, yeah. That's what I was wondering. A little bit, yeah. I wonder how, he said that you had it, I was wondering how it got removed or. Just felt like, yeah, it wasn't ours. And you know, it's also, so it's it's gauging honestly. That's again, it's audience stuff. It's like if it, if, it, if it just if the audience didn't bang on it, yeah. you're like, as much as we love it, again, it was it's it's a little bit dated right now. Dated, and just people yeah. weren't people yeah. were, were landing on it. Yeah. Sure. All right. I'm glad you guys brought up the audience, and we are going to ship to comic book properties because you two are responsible <laughs> for some massive ones. <laughs> yeah. We love. Comic um, books. Yeah. Of course you do. Yes. Um, Venom obviously was an untested property. Uh, when you guys tried it out and you were met with some enormous success and I'm just wondering what um, that success told you uh, as about the audience as you prepared for the sequel um, they love they love that relationship you know I mean what what people say all the time is the relationship between Eddie and Venom was it just you know like I just want to spend more time so with those right, guys right, right. So good. and that's and, and that is you know such a testament to Tom Hardy right um, who, you know, obviously played both parts, um, and uh, that was so. You, it's the, it's, it's, it's similar, and I'm not just trying to bring about Jumanji. Like, it's the characters. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the thing you want to hear when, when you, when you launch a franchise. Is that what works? Is the heart of the movie, and yeah. the heart of Venom was always the relationship between Eddie and Venom. Right. And these two characters, these two sides of the, you know, that 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 had to figure out how to live together, and that were somehow better together than they were separately, mm-hmm. or more successful, and and what that meant, and then everything that surrounds it, you know, is is was was great, and it was hard to get there in time and all of that, um, but but that was the heart and soul of it, and 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 really felt great to, to see that be the thing that people talked about. How about, how about my good buddy here, Matt Tolmach, having those two monster movies, Jumanji Huge. and Venom back-to-back. It was a good year. That's a good producer. That's good producer. I made up for the name drop. True good <laughs> friend, <laughs> and, uh, a very good, uh, very great producer and uh, oh, dude, in, in, in the, in the testament to that work. Super yeah. sweet of you. But then I saw, looking at the numbers today too, and I want you to get both of your perspectives on this. Venom does 856, Global Joker becomes the first villain, you know, R-rated movie to cross yeah. a billion. Why do you think audiences are reacting to villain-driven properties or standalone stories with villains when we never saw this kind of stuff right. before? Villains are, or, or I would qualify it as sort of anti-heroes. Okay. Sure. You know, because I would, I would, I would say Venom is a different character. Okay. Venom, in his own right, is a hero, 
uh, a dark hero with a very specific code. He eats people. But he eats bad <laughs> eats bad people. Bad people. He does bad eat people. Bad people. He likes their heads right. off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bad people. <laughs> like the boondock saints. They're killing good, they're killing bad people. <laughs> so he eats bad people, gotcha. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that makes it. Um, I mean, you're about to make one of these. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's inherently. I think it's fascinating. I think for audiences, I think look, we've, we've always seen heroes. It's 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 almost you know. There's funny. It's like the parallels a little bit of of like wrestling, right? When like Hogan Hogan was the prototype. You know, take your vitamins, say your prayers, and then when the shift came and Stone Cold, the guy who's stunning Santa Claus. You know, I think there's just something very interesting yeah. about a complex character who's not just good and I think so in the case of the Joker here's a character who's arguably the greatest villain in comic book history mm-hmm. definitely so complex and over the years of how he's been played I think yeah. it's fascinating for audiences to be able to watch how did that person get there it's, it's mm-hmm. why we love yes. watching thrillers and serial killer movies or you know like you know Ted Bundy files and stuff because there's a fascination with how does someone get to that spot? Like, from what's the journey? And I think to be able to see that in a way, too, where it's a little dangerous, you know? Well, Joker was a little dangerous to go and watch, and it's R-rated, and, yeah. you know, you're not, getting, you're, not, you're not getting the filtered version. And it's also being critically received as arguably one of the yeah. best one movies of the, best of the movies year. Yeah. I mean, but, but, but just, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yes. Just, you know, going back to what you're saying about dangerous, one of the things we always knew about Venom and I knew it anecdotally from my own kid um, who grew up around a bunch of Spider-Man movies but always wanted to wear a Venom suit. That was the suit he wanted. And that's not unique to him. Venom was always the highest-selling Halloween costume in that universe. Why? Because I think there's a... Danger. There's, danger is appealing to a point. Yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. It, it's sort of like... How do I deal with things that are scary? Well, I, I try to own them, right? I try, to, I try so that they don't own me. And I think kids, that flirtation with things that are otherwise scary is appealing. Yeah. And I think it's why people like watching complicated, dark characters. Does the R-rated success of Joker make you uh, think about an R-rated Venom 2? I mean, I think you always have to think about that, you know, now... That, that 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 works. You know, having said that, our movie worked really well. You yeah. know, our franchise exists as it is, and I and, and I don't think anybody is looking to just say like, hey, they. You know, we we have a place in in the world. So it, it isn't like that. Suddenly, everybody's considering you know what to do. Could with you the rating. maybe like was it something you'd think about because of Joker? I think the I think what it what Joker does is says it, it tells you that you can succeed. You know, for a very long time that was the narrative. And and Deadpool, you know, sort of yeah. sort of wrestled that to Logan the turf. Well, you know, and yeah. then and then Logan but for a long time that was considered totally forbidden. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know. Yeah. By the way, it was in comedy too. Right. For a long right. time. Right. Yeah. Sure. Until some of the people whose names I dropped who I will not drop. <laughs> so, why would you say is that? <laughs> um, but, so, you know, I think it's the greatest thing in the world that R-rated movies are being embraced yeah. by massive audiences. Um, and it just means that there are more opportunities for that kind of storytelling. It also means you, know? you can tell a story the way it's supposed to be. Like, yeah. ultimately, I think you never want to force a movie 
to go into a space it doesn't need to just to be, oh, let's be a little bit more violent. But if the story truly needs it, mm. it's very exciting as filmmakers that there's a space now for it where you know that like if this is a character that needs right. to be told R, now you have the flexibility in the room to do it and you know that you have a chance to succeed. Venom it. would work well in That's R, I think. Thing. He works well in 13, but I think Venom could, like the nature of him would be interesting as an right, R. Right. Is Warner Brothers a little bit more flexible now as you guys have been playing back and forth? Warner Brothers of- has always been, they've been, and, 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 I can yeah. say this, they're, you know, Warner Brothers has never been afraid of darkness. Okay. You know, and you know, yeah. as we've seen in some of their DC Dark properties Day, before. Yeah. But the the great thing about and us with developing Black Adam, there we've thrown a lot of stuff at the wall, and they've never flinched at anything. Okay. And we've thrown some cool. dark stuff out there. I mean, really, yeah. I'm looking. You know, Black Adam has a complicated past. He goes to complicated places, and they've always been right there by our side. And it's always just been about what's the best version of the story and. Look, as producers, that's all you want to hear from the studios. When they have your back like that, like, right. let's just tell the best version of the story. Mm-hmm. But Warner's has always been very open to whatever's going to be best for the story. Because of the world we're living in right now, with movie news and everything, you talk about best versions of story. And I know one of the big things happening right now is this Snyder cut of Justice League. And people are discussing it like it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. And people want to get that vision out there. I'm just curious, your thoughts as producers, that, that, that this story exists, that we're, people are on the internet are asking for this cut... And I'm curious, just as producers in general, like what when you see a story like that, what what do you think about it? I think it's complicated. I think it's like, I, I do. I think it's complicated because it's you always our number one boss is the fans. Like you yeah. want to take care of the fans. So the reason why we're able to do what we do, we do what we do so that we can take care of the fans. I think the just what's challenging is there's just some logistics when you have a movie like that. You know, I think one of the great examples of a person's cut is the Donner cut, right? So Donner's cut of Superman 2 is a testament to like the best version of that. But that was a time also where everything was done in camera and it was practical. The the truth is of a challenge just as a studio I can imagine here is um, a cut of a film that was a highly intensive visual effects film. Mm -hmm. There's a whole other level of visual effects that need to be done. I mean, you're talking, I'm assuming most of this movie was shot on stages, Green screen, yes. blue screen, every so you have to completely render. It is opening up a whole new world now of bringing in a visual effects team, having visual effects done, mm-hmm. and these are complicated shots of flying and this and that. You know, so I, I'm sure just logistically, it's a lot more. If it was something like the Donner cut, where it's like, oh, everything's in camera, boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom. Of course, this is there's a whole post production aspect to this that makes things naturally just daunting that I got to imagine for them to be like, we'd love to, but there's a lot of stuff that comes into play here sure. for them, which I, I just, I would see would be just a little it's bit of a challenge. It's, com- it's super complicated. And, and I understand why the fans, fans want what the fans want. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and they feel that there's, there's more that that's unanswered there for them. And I, I totally understand that. I also, you know, I spent a lot of years as a studio executive. Yeah, that's know? how I want to hear thoughts on this. Yeah. And, and that's a that's a scary proposition. Yeah. Know? And 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 you know one of the things about both of us, you know, um, is and, and this movie's a good example. You know, we take our partnership with the studio super seriously yeah. in, in a good way. I mean, this the studio pays for the movie. They support us. They give us the tools we need. That's right. So exactly. <laughs> so, you know, going rogue or, you know, what is, I don't know if it's going rogue, but, but there's a, there's an element to the, the, you know, the thing that comes out in the end is a collaboration. Mm. 
between the filmmakers and the studio and, and a lot of hard decisions are made along the way. I know nothing about what went into that. Yeah. Sure, same um, here. I, I know nothing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the movie movies that you end up releasing are oftentimes the result of a lot of long, hard conversations about, you know, what everybody collectively thinks is the best. Right. So I think the proposition of just suddenly people watching, <laughs> you know, cuts of movies, I, I think that's... I think I think I, I'm not sure where that goes. Is it dangerous? Well, I don't know where it ends up. I yeah. mean, yeah. The, I mean, look, I think I think there's a good thing. Yeah, I think there's a good thing in the sense that you have, look, as a student, you have a fan base that is so hungry and passionate for stuff that you've made, like, and that's the best place yeah. to be. Where like they love what you have, they want more of it, you know. So it's coming from a good place, but it, it's a delicate thing. And again, we're. We're not privy to what's been going on with that, but I, I can see both sides of it. But ultimately, you know, it's you always want to take care of the fans in some way, and, and I'm sure Warner's is doing their best right now to figure it's out where players are going to be, be that allows us to take care of, of, of the people that let us do what we For do. Sure. Yeah. And hearing the fans is huge. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't necessarily mean whether you're going to release a cut or not, but hearing the fans, you know, it's one of the things to just jump to your next question. Um, you know, people are asking us, you know, are you going to make another one of these and all that? And and we've said it and we mean it. Like, A, we, you know, knock wood. We, we hope this movie is is received the way the last one is and we want the fans to, to tell us that they want another movie, first and foremost. But you also want to listen to the fans in terms of like, what did you love? What did you not? You know, yeah, right, one of the, right. one of the you know, it's painful yeah. sometimes to go on the internet and read what everybody yeah. says about your movie, but you can <laughs> learn a ton. Right, right. And if you're fortunate and, and, they're, and they're by and large loving it, but they're loving some stuff more than other, like really important to hear them. Mm. Really important to hear the fans in so general. Release, so. this, release the cast and cut. <laughs> you're, you're seeing the Where's cast. The cast? <laughs> Trust me, this is. Before they kick us out of here, there's one other topic I have to get into with you. Um, and you talk about listening to the fans. And I'm curious how involved you were in those conversations when Sony and Marvel were trying to figure out how to share Tom mm. uh, for the Spider-Man. Um, not, not very Marvel, involved. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I am... I am I produced the Morbius movies, I mean the Morbius movie, the Venom movies, um, a bunch of other stuff in that in that Marvel like Sony world. Like, like you know, we've <laughs> talked about a Craven movie. We've talked, you know, um, Spider Man. I'm an executive producer on those movies, and there are other people that are sort of driving those conversations. So, gotcha. I mean, that's the God's honest. But you'd like to get them back over. I'm, I'm looking forward to... Can your Venom... <laughs> to Mondri! <laughs> I want to see your Venom play Speaking of Black you. Adam... What, what, what a... Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, well, thank you guys very much. Thank, thank you, you guys. guys. It's not a dodge. It's just straight up, I'm not in that dodge. Yeah, no, no, we appreciate you guys. Thanks for letting us go a little yeah. dirty. No, but, this is great. Yeah. The more nerd, the better. It's really fun. Naturally, we want to thank everybody over at Sony for setting this up. I mean, it was really great that they brought us to the Jumanji, the next level junket. But in addition, I thought it was really cool that they went out of their way to book these podcast interviews, uh, both with Jay Kazan and then here with the two producers, to allow us to bring you uh, additional coverage from the movie because uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a good sequel. They're going to be competing up against Star Wars as the producers talk to us uh, here on the podcast. And so we want you guys to go out and support it. Uh, keep it here uh, at the Real Blend podcast for all of these upcoming really exciting interviews that we have through the rest of the month. Some huge Huge names. Uh, obviously, I 
have been teasing the Quentin Tarantino uh, interview, uh, the full one that's going to be coming uh, very soon. But we have some really other uh, great names, cool guests that will be coming to the podcast soon. We really appreciate you guys showing us the support, whether it's through the main show or these uh, spinoff bonus episodes where we bring you exclusive interviews. So keep the feedback coming. Keep the reviews coming. Keep following us along on both the Real Blend Twitter account at Real Blend and now the new Facebook community page that we just launched. So many different ways for you guys to interact with not just us, but all the members of the Blender family. And uh, we'll talk to you guys when we're back with the full episode. Dunkirk! It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.